my father taught me so many things, but ultimately he really talked to me about consumer experience and really listening, managing, upholding, and working to always satisfy the customer. You're listening to Hawk Talk, a podcast all about the origin stories of the most interesting people in the world. Today, you know our guests as famous athletes, authors, and entrepreneurs, but there's so much more to the story. Let's get into today's interview with your host, Eric Huberman. All right. You're listening to Hawk Talk. I'm here today with Christopher Gavigan. How are you? Hey, Eric. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for coming on. So got to take it way back. I assume, you know, you're born and you immediately decided which diapers you were going to take on because you knew way more than your parents about it. You yes. just started with an expert in product in CPG, right? Yes. I said, I said, mom and dad, step aside. It's not about products. It's about passion and about transformation. Let me, t- let yeah. me take it on. I got this. <laughs> so yeah, so take me back. Where, where were you originally born? Yeah, I was born out here. So I moved out here recently, uh, back here recently to the East Coast. So born and bred in New York and Connecticut and did uh, my time in the country. It was like the coastal Connecticut woodlands and, and classic East Coast lifestyle. It was, it was great. Awesome. And so tell me a little bit more about it. Like, were your parents entrepreneurs as well? Is that where you got the sort of bug? No, my my mom was taking care of four children, so four boys. So busy. <laughs> so my father was a retail operator. So he worked for Saks Fifth Avenue and Gimbel's. Oh. Yep. And and he was in the in the world of um, executive management of people and product on the retail side. And I, 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 you know, my father taught me so many things, but ultimately he really talked to me about consumer experience and really listening, managing, upholding, and working to always satisfy the customer. And and really it was it was less about what they needed and what they said on the surface it was more about listening to those deeper principles and values and what they were not saying. Yeah. And so he was a relationship first human, a dogged worker. Uh, he, so he, we lived in Connecticut and he would take the train back and forth. And then he eventually uh, started working in Boston too. And so it was a two hour commute one way. So wow. he, was on the, he was on the road for four plus hours just in the commuting world. And this is obviously pre-podcast. And so he would he was one of the road warriors with one of the first cell phones with the antenna coming out of the car, <laughs> off the car. So would would read the New York Times every day. But the his commitment to the work and the quality of the work, but the, the amount of work rubbed off of me in both positive and negative fashions. I mean, I, I learned you obviously with parents, you learn what to do and you also learn what not to do. Yeah. And that was very apparent in my world growing up in the sense that I always, I committed to being involved with helping and supporting and serving other people, uh-huh. but I wanted to do it in a, in a more balanced fashion that I could really also have a life and have a family and, and do the things and passions that I loved. And so growing up, were you, did you want to like fall in your dad's footsteps right away? Like what was, what were your interests? Like what was the like five-year-old, I want to be this when I grow up? Five-year-old, I wanted to be this is I wanted to be a park ranger. Okay. So I wanted, I wanted to work outdoors. I wanted to be more of a uh, leaning towards the naturalist side of the world. So caretaking the environment and um, habitats of animals and, and wild spaces. And, and that's really what drove me early to early in my teens and and rolling into undergrad world was how can I connect with the environmental science and the environmental health? And I was always forward leaning on, I was an athlete and I had a grandfather who was a tremendous 
I mean, he was early days biohacking and headstands and eating healthfully and 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 doing fasting diets. And he was a, a tremendous influence on me. And uh-huh. so I was uniquely interested on the environment and then the human body colliding in both uh-huh. positive and negative ways. And so I went out to California. My, my father said, OK, what are you going to do in undergrad? And I said, I'm going to go to California. And he said, well, if you're going to go out there, I'm, you're going to have to pay your way because, you know, I can't I, you just got a full ride to these small liberal arts schools on the East Coast. But if you go out there like that, you're on your own. And I was happy to do that and because um, I really wanted to follow my passion. So I landed in Santa Barbara, which and I really sought out Santa Barbara because UCSB has the longest and, and the first environmental sciences program in the nation. Because in 1969, the oil was lapping up on the shores coming off those those yep. oil platforms. And um, so there was a multidisciplinary approach to environmental awareness and consciousness and consideration. So they applied business and theory and communications and psychology all in the environment. Did they ever figure that out? Because I grew up in Ojai and would go to the beaches in Santa Barbara. And we I just you just gave me a flashback of like walking around getting tar stuck to the bottom of my foot. Right. And yeah. it, as a kid, you don't think of it as an environmental problem. It's just this thing that gets stuck to you. But I yeah. literally just have this flashback. Go, oh, yeah, that's probably not a good thing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there is natural seepage, terrible word, but it it was very much, you know, you drill out there and you're going to get, you know, you're really going to hit the the oil, um, the veins inside the bedrock and it's going to come out and lap up on the shores. And so it was a a phenomenal place to land. Again, further pursued athletics there. And what was your sport? You you said athletics. So in in high school, it was um, very, very um, intense soccer. And then Santa Barbara didn't have a soccer team at the time. It actually folded my freshman year. And so I decided to play in uh, Ultimate Frisbee. And Santa Barbara was had the winningest ultimate, Ultimate Frisbee team at the time. And so I was like, oh, my God, here are these these guys and these athletes and these tremendous humans that had just won national championships a couple of years earlier. And so during my tenure there, I played for four years there. So I was a 50 year senior. We won two national championships. Wow. And I happened to be the captain of one. And it was a tremendous impact on also on just leadership and development and coaching and yep. partnership. And it was really, really, really powerful. And so you went out there. So uh, going a little bit back to childhood, like at what age did this morph into like, you know, I, I guess actually even further back, what, what started the idea of being a park ranger, loving nature? Was it that your parents took you on hikes? Like where did that come no, from? Yeah, it was a good question. We lived in rural Connecticut. And so oh. we were on the, on, the, on the shores of this small woodland creek called the Menonatuzic River. And this river was this woodland creek. And I, I mean, mom, dad always working, mom with four boys, and her classic thing was get outside, just get outside. I can't have you inside. And so that was my safe haven. That was my really, you know, looking back on it, it was a spiritual refuge in many, many ways. And so my brothers and I would explore the river. So we would hike and explore and fish and, and camp and it was it was our safe haven and and i always it was it was a really impactful moment and, and a negative and a really traumatic moment it was my father we had this beautiful lawn that rolled down to the the, the sides of this river and the house was perched up and my father brought this big truck in as a, every you know every every great american would do you know you you've got to have a beautiful green lawn so he sprayed it with 
nitrogen fertilizers. And I remember this, this truck coming down the hill. It was called Chemlon. And so Chemlon sprayed the, the, the lawn and within days it was bright, bright green. But also within days, the, the fish population right in front of our house was dead. I mean, wow, what was sadly really, really catastrophically impacted. And so I remember as a nine-year-old being shocked and horrified and saddened and trying to figure it out. And my father, you know, doing his best, didn't, didn't understand the ramifications of his actions. And so I remember that being really clear that I need, like, I needed to do something that human impact can negatively impact your immediate environment, both in small and, and hidden ways. And that's really what I thought about, okay, so if that's happening to the fish, what's happening to me? And really starting to merge that world of environment. The environment is somewhere out there, yes, but it's also in our immediate world. And so it's what we put on our skin and what we put in our mouth and what we sleep on. That's our own environment. And so that world of human physiology meshing with the environmental world was really something that I felt really passionate about. And again, this is early 90s when they were talking, yes, they were talking about global warming and the ozone layer back then. And we were talking about all these things that now are hopefully dinnertime conversations for families and and people around the globe. And so I I was a a passionate person like you, you men, you meld that with stewardship and my father is passionate. Like you need to serve other people. You need to serve other things and other, 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 other platforms and principles. And again, Irish Catholic growing up, I mean, you pull, you pull in those standards and principles and values piece. And so very much felt like I needed to do something on behalf of others that wasn't just about me or just about what my beliefs were. And so you go to school for it. Did you have an idea of what you wanted to get out and do? Did you know, like, I want to go and solve this problem? Or did you have that vision right away? You know, it was interesting. I, I, I really knew that I had a gift to connect on a very intimate level with people and communicate. And so I, I was trying to, how do I, how do I take this environmental knowledge that I have and how do I bring it into daily courses of act? And I'm curious, how do you discover that gift? Because I, I, you know, that, that's yeah, a hard sometimes, thing. Like, yeah, some, sometimes you just got to turn off your, I, 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 I uniquely followed my heart very early. Mm-hmm. And I remember my, both my father and grandfather and mom, just like, do it feels right. You know, do what you love as a human and do what feels right in your heart and do what feels right for others. And I, and again, it was, it was seemed simple and I was never focused on how much money am I making? I mean, I lived in a Volkswagen van for two years just to put myself through college because I had no other ways and means. I mean, I had a job and I was playing ultimate. I was like a double major. And so that was just what I had to do. And I always knew that I would work out, you know, I'd land on my feet and I continually would land on my feet. And so call it charm, call it like magic, call it like just inner innate, like ability to figure it out. I knew I could figure it out and I knew I had the passion and the commitment to figure it out. And so that piece around serving, especially a smaller population, which I felt extremely limited by. So I would, I was working on a, on a small scale basis with kids and families that had personal issues with health and were challenged by some emotional issues and some autism, allergies, asthma, you know, 
learning disabilities and, and learning delays. And I was working on a one-on-one -on -one basis and really trying to unpack the why of it all, cleaning up their food regimen, working with their doctors, working with their teachers, and really trying to align and attune their own world. And so it's that, that it was based on like that citizen doctor meets parents and people trying to up-level their lives with some good information and good data. And I, again, environmental science. So I was always leaning into medicine and data and science. And so that's what really got me excited. And so I started working with this, this nonprofit and eventually took over as the CEO and executive director called Healthy Child, Healthy World. And so this was an organization that was working with medicine, academics, and, and research and data, pulling the data at, off benchtop and bringing it into the public forum. And they were there about 10 years at the time. They started sadly off of the, um, the, the tragic death of a small girl named Colette Chuda, who died of a, a, a extreme exposure to pesticide. And um, she died at the age of five, five from a, a tumor called Wilms tumor. And so if the parents had known, if the parents had said, okay, I'm mom in my late thirties who is you're doing the best I can. I'm, I'm, I'm understanding what I'm eating. I'm understanding my home environment, but I'm also just trying to keep, um, you know, trying to nest and keep my home safe and healthy. And she, sadly, she uh, brought in a, one of, you know, one of those pesticides companies and insecticides companies to bomb their house. And so they literally fogged their house. And so she yeah. had an extreme exposure. So the baby was in contact with the, you know, these, these toxic and caustic pesticides in utero. And then eventually um, it led to her death. And so mom went on a passionate plea to understand the science and the why, and also just to alarm and alert and yeah. excite and, and really bring parents to an awareness level. And so it's, again, small, you know, toxicology will tell you it's, that it's not it's not the poison that makes the poison it's the dose and timing that makes the poison and so ultimately you know these research and doctors don't have a way to connect with parents and they don't have a platform and so healthy child was that platform and so i worked with them over the course of seven years to really digest and palletize and make it more accessible that that, that hard data and, yeah. and that and that science and try to that's because it is scary. As a parent, you're activated, you're alarmist, and you're trying to do your best. And you've got, you know, you've got this this small being in your body, and parents are just doing everything they possibly can. So they're alerted, and then they're equal parts paralyzed. Yeah, because they don't know who to trust. And so this was a, a trust organization that was again doing doing the hard work in the science and 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 putting out the education campaigns and, and communication platforms and so we worked with webmd and we worked with whole foods and we worked with target and and i wrote a book called healthy child healthy world creating a cleaner greener safer home that came out in 2008 so this is the nat this is early days natural movement and small brands popping up and the, the clean, the better for you, the, you know, really mission aligned brands. And a lot of these pioneer brands were just looking for a, a way to connect with an audience. And I saw the audience really being parents and parents are, they're the most activated. They will change their behavior. They're, they're, they don't do the ostrich effect. Like the data doesn't overwhelm them. They yeah. want to know and they want to take action. And so they're, you're most willing to, behavioral scientists will show you, you're most easy to change your behavior two times in your life, through death and through life. Like life being birth, 
and then yep. death being someone's died or you have an extreme exposure to a, a, a disease and a cancer or an illness and you're you're willing to shift. Yep. And so that shift, um, behavioral shift is really interesting for me to try to really tap into that. And it, yeah, no, it makes sense. And so seven years in, what caused you to leave? Why, why transition out? So, so it was interesting because I realized in the world of NGOs, these social enterprises, if you will, they're limited in their reach and impact. Mm-hmm. And I just felt I, I needed to do more. I, I just felt that, you know, in the average tenure of, a, of the CEO of an NGO is anywhere, anywhere between three to four years. It's really hard. It's a lot of scarcity mindset, yeah. limited dollars in the world of, of foundations and grants and, and um, funding. You're constantly putting on these events and finding ways to really bring in a um, residual income into the organization. And we did quite well through partnerships, particularly with WebMD and and Seventh Generation at the time. Mm -hmm. So I decided that I was going to pause and take a break and and, and really understand really what the consumer was saying, what the parents were saying. And and, 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 and the more I listened over over those seven years, the more I heard this constant plea and request and demand and and hopeful proposition for partnership and peace of mind. The request was, just tell me what to buy. You've alerted me, you've alarmed me, you've scared the shit out of me. You've talked about pesticides and phthalates and BPA and things that are in my world, in mattresses and baby bottles and formula and food and lotions and shampoos and in, in laundry detergent. Tell me just what to buy. And so I just kept thinking, God, there needs to be one brand, one source. I could dot people around the globe and I started to vet the, organ- the, the these brands and it was came a, a logistic and legal nightmare if you're starting to recommend specific brands. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I, there needs to be one place, one source, one trusted platform with a set of principles and standards, but one consumer and, and, and really hopeful promise. And that's really what started the Honest Project. And the Honest Project rolled into the Honest Company. And was that originally, did you like leave to start the Honest Project or was it like, I'm going to stop this for a little while and figure it out. And then was it like right into the Honest Project, I guess? Is, or was there a- no, it was, it was, so it was, it was into three specific projects. In, in fact, one was around infant formula because uh-huh. I had a, a, my, my wife and I, we had a, one child at the time. Now we have four. My wife had a really hard time breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. And the, and again, everything I knew on science and, and environment and physiology and the data that I was understanding on the consumer marketplace, I was just appalled with what infant formulas we were built on, what the yeah. ingredient lists were and where they were sourced. So it was like, God, I need to build a plant-based infant formula. Yeah. So started working on that, started working on the Honest Project, and then started working because I sit on the board of Mount Sinai since 2009. And I started really understanding what are cannabinoids and what are these molecules and these these phytonutrients from plants that we've you know historically built, been built and grown with over the over eons and eons of time. And what are these mo- what are these molecules and what are these compounds doing? And so I started to have I had three projects rolling, and my my thesis was I'm going to see what gains traction first. And it was really the Honest Company or the Honest Project. So ultimately, Jessica Alva, Jessica Alva, who came to my book launch party in 2008, she and I started working nights and weekends on this Honest Project again. How that can happen? happen? I'm curious because I'm sure that's something the audience would want to know. Yeah, so she, so she, she's a, she's a, yeah, she's a phenomenal mom. Again, yeah. 
So I have all these doctors. I also have celebrities like Gwyneth Paltrow prior to her launching Goop and Tom Hanks and, you know, uh, Kate Hudson and all, you know, really great people. Michelle Obama prior to even Barack even launching his campaign coming in with their story. So I built this book. Here's here's the data, but here's here's anecdotal feedback and stories from real people just expressing themselves. So doctors giving data and uh, notables trying to popularize the subject matter. And so we had these little vignettes of of people. And so Jessica was invited by People Magazine that was hosting this party for me and in, in, at Luke um, Restaurant in uh, 2008. And they said, "Oh God, here she's pregnant. Let's invite her in." And Jessica said, "Oh my God, Christopher, I read your book. I got a pre-launch copy from People Magazine. I just had a horrible allergic reaction to a laundry detergent. Tell me what to buy." So I was like, "There's that question." So she's like, "I have this great idea, organic clothing." I was like not about organic clothing, like put that aside. That's not the, important for the earth, not important for the human. So I was prioritizing human first, then earth. Yeah. And I felt like that that's how human psychology will just prioritize yeah. the, their own behavior and own, own prioritization. And so she and I just, she, you know, we connected, we connect on many levels, you know, for thesis and values and ideas. And, and she was just, she was activated and she was, she's a committed soul and she's incredibly, incredibly judicious with her business acumen. She really, she's like, I got to build something. I got to do something. I got to create something I know can be built. And she is like, she doesn't take no for an answer. And, and like, again, I give her so much credit in the sense that she has, she's got the passion and she's got the true heart and soul to really back it up. Yeah. So we just collided on a lot of, a lot of levels and so we both said, okay, you've got skills and assets. I've got skills and assets. Let's try to merge that and see if we can get something here. Yeah. So we worked on this brand and ultimately there was doors and doors and doors shut in our face mm-hmm. because it was too big, too many products. What is one thing you're going to do? I was like, no, 17 products. Actually, it was 22 <laughs> products, three different categories, you know, like Method started with soap, but like now they're just a liquid soap company. They can't go to other categories. Yeah. This is one big master brand, iconic and, and a principled, safe, high standard brand. No, no, no. And then ultimately we did, we met Brian Lee and Brian Lee, who has tremendous business acumen, yeah. specifically in business, uh, excuse me, um, e-commerce, subscription commerce. He was like, no, we got to put the diapers and the cleaning products and the personal care on subscription. And this is 2011. Yeah. Again, early day subscription commerce. Yep. And so we three paired, brought in one other gentleman, John Kane on the on general management side. And we ran, we, you know, walked up to Silicon Valley, raised some funds because there was more people and more assets at the table. Yeah. Same vision, same exact deck. Yeah. But you've got the tech guy now with Brian Lee. Yeah. Now, now we've got tech and we've got refined, uh, a refined um, financial plan and, and P&L. And uh, we rolled and we rolled fast. Yeah. And uh, we launched in early January of 2012. So we just hit our um, 10 year anniversary. Uh-huh. And uh, it, it was a phenomenal first few years because it's still it's a phenomenal brand, but phenomenal first year, few years because it just clicked. People were fine, like the, the big sigh of release of, oh my God, you're a challenger brand. No, you're a peace of mind brand. You're a brand that really has products and cool design and, and accessible pricing just enough that I could reach for it. And it really hit on a lot of levels. Yep. And so where were the 
challenges that you ran into along the way? I mean, there's always a billion challenges, but like it seemed like from the outside without knowing it a lot, I know that there were some later stage challenges that ended up seeming to work out, but yeah, what happened there? Like you, you, it sounded, again, it was from, I, I remember going to your 16th street office and hanging out with Sean, like when you were right there and like, I, you know, hearing about it when you guys were first starting. And so yeah. Watching it, you guys just, as you said, took off in the beginning. It was, uh, you know, widely accepted right away, and then it's yeah. like the maintaining that growth became the issue. Correct? Yeah, exactly. It, I mean, it was it was amazing because it was a social purpose purpose driven enterprise that was really colliding human body and innovation and science, and then cool consumer packaged goods. So it was it was really hitting all these like amazing pieces, and we fueled it. And, and really found a way specifically through the free trial platform to really connect people into the and plug them into the brand really quickly. And so that, that, that force of good, but also blended with subscription commerce, like it rolled quickly, but the challenge was we didn't really, we didn't invest in the operation side of the business at all. Got it. Uh, and I would say at all enough. And we certainly had a challenge around, okay, how do you really, you, it's native DTC, it's also consumer packaged goods, but how do you also operationalize that in the retail environment? And as soon as you start challenging incumbents, you know, you name them, big CBG at shelf, they're going to really start looking, poking, getting aggressive. Yep. And that was really the challenge. And so what, what we saw was in year two, three, Brand was flying. I mean, really hitting partnerships with Target and Costco and, and really, really hitting our, our, our stride. And then we just had consumer litigation as uh, on claims, right? Which claims substantiation, extremely important. And then incumbents really being challenged at shelf. You, you start taking their, their shelf space and their inches on shelf. They're going to start. First, they watch you. Then they poke at you. Then they challenge you, i.e. sue you. Yeah. And then they try to buy you. And that... <laughs> happened time and time again. And and all those guys were in the building, guys and gals were in the building wanting to really look at us. And by that time at year three, at really four or five, we were just too big. Yeah. And, and so the sophistication around with which you built operation, I mean, we were still on QuickBooks until year six. Been there, got it. You know, so all the, all the institutional sophistication and platform comes with legal and compliance and regulatory and standards and claims and, and the commitment around your manufacturing and, and 3PLs. We owned our own 3PL. We owned our own customer service teams. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, it's a challenge because it, it grew too quickly and we just, we just, we just couldn't keep up with it. And so, Challenges happen, but it's with how you really manage those challenges and manage the growth. And the team never, what I'm most proud about is we never sacrifice product quality, right? So the the commitment around how we build the the level of of what we won't choose to put inside the products, what with the ingredients and the efficacy that we are choosing to build these products with on on the ingredient side was always there. So the commitment around standards and purity and safety and not toxicity never, never, never was, was sacrificed. And that, cause I oversaw product and, um, and really brand marketing. And that's something that I'm most proud about because that was really never challenged. Yeah. Hey, I wanted to take a break to tell you about my brand new book called the Hawk method, the three principles of marketing that made over 3000 brands soar. If you like the podcast, you'll love the book. You can get it on Amazon or anywhere books are sold. All right, back to our show. 
with that, so you hit these challenges, as you said, you were too big to be bought by your, the big guys that wanted to compete. Yeah. And so did you just at that point, it was like heads down, we're going to have to IPO or to get an exit for investors or like what happened at that? No, it, at, at that stage, it was bringing, it, bringing in more sophisticational operational investors. Yeah. Some, some private equity group and groups. And then there was also really an investment in owning the R&D and owning supply chain when it comes to product formulation. So ideation to commercialization. So really owning more of the upfront. And so sourcing, batching, you know, owning the formulation at, 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 day, at day one in ideation phase. And that takes commitment and that takes some time. Yeah. And, 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 the, and, and really what we did see and what we saw and we continue to see within the brand and within um, the platform is, is that really pays off because ultimately consumers are buying innovation, they're, they're, they're buying differentiation, they're providing, they're buying performance, and they're really buying results in these categories, right? How, how good does my surface cleaner work? How great is my diaper and as far as absorption yeah. and overall water retention? How great is the, um, the lotion from a hydration and moisturization? And all of these things have these, these, this sphere of influence on efficacy and performance that you need to own that and you need to invest in that. And that, that happens all the time, like a, a natural course of business in the world of consumer packaged goods. And so, especially in these categories around health and topicals and beauty. And so um, we really leaned in there and really brought in a great team of sophisticated um, CPG vets to really oh. oversee that work and, and really take the next scale of business forward. And that, so I was going to ask that. So there was a point I remember when you, Jessica, Brian, I don't know if it was all at once, but you all started to sort of step away as full-time operators yep. of the business. Yep. What drove that? Was it just because you wanted to get like more seasoned executives to come in or was it burnout? Like, Yeah, look, look, I, I, I didn't specifically grow up in the world of CPG and, yep. and I'm, I'm a builder. I'm a, a visionary. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a person that my, my power stance is in that let's build team, let's build passion, let's build commitment and principles. But I, I don't, I don't build the maintenance side like that. That yep. doesn't excite me. Yep. And those nuts and bolts, there are people who grow up and are built and are bred for that. Yep. And, and I certainly knew what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. And Brian did. And, and Jessica is very much still involved on the, on the, on the inspiration and ideation and board side. Cool. And so we all said, okay, when is, when is the right time to pass up a ton? And so in our, in our times, we, we pass up a ton to the more executive team or the, the the new executive team that's there. And it's really worked out well because they've done such a phenomenal job at refinement and, and taking it to the next level. To re Again, this has always been a brand that was there to shift and challenge incumbents. Like we always said, if someone copies us, that's a win. Yeah. Right. That's that's that that is a win for the marketplace. It's a win for the 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 vulnerable populations. It's a win for parents. Yeah. It's a win for the marketplace. And so we're shifting the the paradigm. And I'm again so proud at, at what Honest has done because if you look across the space, you're like all these little me too brands. Yeah. Like awesome. Being yeah. a pioneer. I mean, we were inspired by other brands like Seven Gen and yeah. and some of these other brands that came before us. So even the Ben and Jerry's of the world and Stony Fields of the world, like these brands that have, were these waves of commitment around it, uh, around sustainability and, 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 and really passionate commitment to the consumer. So, so honest is one of those, one of those brands and legacy brands right now that will really be seen as a, a, a marketplace shifter. Yep. 
No, agreed. And so what was the IPO at, by the way? I can't remember what the number was. We, we, we IPO'd in May. Yeah. In the May of 2020, I say this year, 2021. So it all seems like a blur in the yeah. last couple of years. <laughs> so, so it's just been out for about- Was um, it 1.3 billion? Eight. Do I have that yep. number? Yeah. Yep. So you built a over billion dollar company focused on making the world a better place for parents and children. I mean, not not too shabby. <laughs> no, I mean, look, it, it, it's- I, I continue to pinch myself in the sense that it, it, it's one of those things, that, and, I, and I'm a, just a control enthusiast when it comes to the details. And I feel, you know, I always used to say, I wanted, I'm, I'm serving the people that are going to turn the bottle around. Yes, it might look beautiful on shelf, but, and I'm very much a passionate designer as well. But I want to, I want people to turn the bottle around and look at the ingredient list. Those are my people. Those yeah. are the people that I'm going to inform, educate, excite. And if those people are looking at it, and if those people are really motivated by the shift, then they're going to tell. They're so much more. They're the they're the passionate few. They're not the lukewarm many. And right. those are the people that are going to shift the marketplace. And it it, it proved to to work out. Totally agree with that. Certainly in that world. Yeah, and obviously it worked out. So you leave, obviously you mentioned in the beginning a passion for plant-based medicine and you know yeah. leveraging plants. And so how long till you went into CBD after leaving? Yeah, so it was, so it was soon thereafter. So I knew, again, I, I knew I needed to, so if, 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 I, if I know what I love doing, I, I, I'm like, I'm, I'm a true believer in healthier, happier, and longer lives like that. If, if I want to help people and I want to help the planet, if I could do it in those realms. And so healthier, certainly honest company and, and healthy child was all about that. Happier is really this, this new phase that I'm in right now, because this world of therapeutic and functional botanicals and how do we unlock this world of it's not wellness and it's not necessarily as health. Health, it's really about well-being, and well-being is a much more holistic point of view when it comes to health in general. And so, it's really about physical, it's about mental, it's about social awareness, and it's really about again in a world where you're up-leveling your life, how do you how do you take care and manage that more holistic paradigm and that holistic platform? And so, again, 2009, first heard about cannabinoid sciences, was fascinated by it. In 2003, the U.S. government took out patents, which they never take out, by the way. They took out patents on the on cannabidiol or CBD, specifically around neuroprotection and antioxidant properties. I mean, 2003, oh. who was studying that? They, I mean, no one knew the word in the acronym CBD back then. Yeah. And so... Uh, again, I really love the science and the the reality, not the rhetoric or the ideology. Right. And I was watching, I was watching this wave and this early wave of these cannabis or cannabis and um, cannabidiols um, and CBD brands. And what are these cannabinoids doing in consumer products? And how do you do it? And what, where are you going to bring them? And how do you do it with really therapeutic value? Yep. And so I got excited about that. I was really alarmed by what I was seeing by very sophomoric hooligans, charlatans, cowboys, like bringing, you know, dosing in CBD and, and, and tinctures and macaroons and mustard and mattresses. Like it was ridiculous. It was like, yeah. and like, again, no one knew what they were doing. And I knew cannabis has never hurt anyone. And cannabinoids have never hurt anyone. No one's ever overdosed on cannab uh, cannabinoids ever yeah. in the history of humanity. But people have gotten really sick from 
mitotoxins and heavy metals and yeah. things that are constituents in products. And so no one from a purity perspective, again, no, no, in my background, I was like, oh my God, no one's doing the work to really assure potency and purity and efficacy and quality and a commitment to a standard of like, oh my God, we could do this in a way that, because these are healthcare products, right? Right. So we could do this in a way that is compliant with FDA supplementation standards and not like, again, not gray market economy that cannabis bias and stigma aside has really just grown up in for the last yeah. 800 years. Kind of forced and to. So, <laughs> forced to, exactly. Yeah. It's a black market economy. So how do we how do we bring in a level of sophistication? I, again, gotten I've received multiple MBAs and if not a PhD and in, in that world <laughs> from the Honest Company. Thank you. And and how do I do it in a way in a fashion that is again a master brand brand flat platform, multiple categories, skincare, body care, and supplementation. And how do I do it in a way that is really advancing the science of Because it, it is biotechnology meets like phytochemistry. And how do I do it in a way that's nutraceutical and cosmeceuticals blended in a, in a fashion that is palatable and normalized and accessible, but also beautiful and romantic and exciting for, for today's consumer. And so it was, it was a unique business challenge. And, and, and the, the, really the long and short of the, of the story is we, we really birthed a brand that I feel is one of the leadership brands in the world of um, cannabis and cannabinoids called Prima. And, and, and Prima, what I'm most excited about is the level of commitment that we have on purity and efficacy and, and really impact on the body. Because if, if dosed and appropriately brought to the body in the right delivery methodology, and, and and really consistent with the bioavailability constituents of the, of these molecules, you can really impact and get the body to feel and change and transform in really really remarkable ways. Well, that's amazing, and it sounds like it's going well. Like that, it's been received the way you want it to. It's growing. You guys just raised some money, more money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 going really well in the sense that. Well, I mean, sadly, what COVID has done for some of these early phase, like 1.0 brands, it's it's creating a mass extinction event. Yeah. Um, many brands are leaving the category just they can't hang on. They don't really know yeah. know what they're doing. Retailers, which are regulators right now, thankfully, yeah. since the, the federal um, and state environments are just a little bit delayed, retailers are now getting hip and savvy. We've done a really strong job at, um, from the compliance and regulatory and testing and, and um accountability side is to teach a lot of these regulators um, or retailers working with Sephora and LVMH on the global side to really create a standard uh, that sits under the clean standard. Mm -hmm. Priya and Cindy there really were really remarkable in saying, okay, we need to be a global brand that has a point of view here. We see their efficacious agility and utility Mm -hmm. on the skincare side and the body care side as well as ingestible side, they can't do ingestibles yet, but they're willing to go on the skincare and body care side. And so they've created a standard around purity and, 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 and traceability um, that we co-developed with them and working with a, a lot of these other retailers. And, and sadly, the, the consumer set, what we're seeing right now is a, a bit of fatigue in the sense that early phase consumers that rolled in got some in products that just weren't working. Like, not not efficacious not efficacious products products that were just poorly presented yeah and you know you just can't you can't sprinkle in cbd and call it a healthcare product you can't yeah. and say it's going to work i mean 
I have a, I have a really big issue with the tincture market. Tinctures are, are really demonstrated through science to be not bioavailable to the body. It's yeah. a terrible consumer experience. Who wants to swish oil in their mouth? The yeah. buccal region, which is the really the therapeutic region in the body, is really regulated as a, a region in the body that is only for pharmaceutical uptake. And it's it's really not there. The, the body doesn't receive oil. It receives water yeah. since it's a... It's a it's a it's a really color part of the oil water complex and so i mean physiology aside and not to get too technical you know i've I've just a big big issue with bioavailability and efficacy on that on that side so we've really brought formats that really are leaning into efficacious uh, routes and really working on the credibility and the quality and the purpose-driven part of it as well as the transparency and social impact piece which again wasn't built in this in this category yet and so and 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 really addressing which which these molecules do right these molecules are there to bring the body back into balance and homeostasis when the body's in the under everyday or extreme states of stress and that's what this endocannabinoid system does this body system that was just recently um, discovered in the last 25 years that 95 percent of all doctors don't understand or know about so we're there to teach and tell about the this body system and normalize this body system and again it's it's re, it's not about mystery and magic it's really about bringing in the science and understanding what are the ways and what are the routes and what are the pathways in the body that gets us to become into better states of balance and, and re, stress reduction when it sounds like you're looking at it right i mean i i won't name them but someone we probably both know talked to me about taking 250 or 260 supplements a day and i'm like absorption <laughs> like you're just that's just all going through you like none of that is actually getting an expensive urine yeah exactly yeah and, and you've got and you've got to do it in a way that yes you're modulating the the brain and the central ner- nervous system the immune function but you're getting the body that our bodies are really built as healing and transforming machines yeah if the stress is modulated stress right. is the fight or flight if you're yeah. under extreme extreme stress the body shuts every body system down. It's very primal, very primitive, and tries to run away from the tiger that you're staring yeah. at 10,000 years ago. Well, same world, digital addiction, doom scrolling, you know, like the constant access to information and the, fil- the full calendar that we all live. Yeah. Like, that's extreme stress. Doom scrolling. So, Never heard that term. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so ultimately, how do you bring the body better? better down from that so we can heal so we can be again healing reparative transformative um, organisms and so it's that it's a beautiful conjunction between stress reduction and then really looking at the the other side of the coin which is the world of longevity which i know you're excited about too which is really fascinating because it's really about reduction of oxidative stress and looking at precision medicine and precision, forget about medicine, precision habits and practice and, and daily ways that we can manage in our bodies yep. that can really take our, ourselves into a world of, of there's, there's your physical age and then there's your internal biological age. And yep. so how do we manage our biologies? And I, again, I hate the word of like hack our biologies, but how do you bring the the state of our biologies into a better place because the data is really there. And we're, yeah. we're at this precipice of this longevity revolution. That's really exciting to think about and look at. Yep. 
Yeah, I, I hate the word hack too. In our in our world, in the marketing world, they talk about growth hacking, and it always seems like something short sighted and unsustainable. So it's more how do you transform, not how do you hack. Yeah, yeah, because hacking is 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 so momentary. Exactly. It's like right. It's and it's like oh my god, I'm gonna like hack or pivot, and like no, it's it's again thinking about the holistic system and what do I need to do over the long term yep. that's really gonna benefit me. Oh, again, uh, over the long term and over over um, a long period of time. Totally agree. So, two last questions for you. Number one, what's next? What, what do you see on the horizon? What do you? Is it just continue to build Prima? Do you have some grander vision with yeah, this? Yeah. Look, I know I I get excited about again. It's I, I don't. I, I said it earlier. It's really not about selling products. It's really about promoting transformation on many, many different levels. I mean, I think about my children, I think about the world they are living up, living in and growing in. And and what what do I need to do to be an agent of transformation in the world of physical health and human health as well as well as global health? And that beautiful collision also is is if we are going to live longer lives and we all are going to take these daily habits and 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 more more of a long-term approach into our like if, if if I were to tell you you're going to live to 150 years, yep. you might think about your relationships, your businesses, your yep. physical uh, output and um, inputs much more differently. And I'm I'm really stepping back and thinking about it like that. I'm I'm coming up on the age of of 48, and you know I I really approach my life like I'm in my early 20s. I've got a long life to live. I guarantee you that but my children will absolutely live over 150 years old. I mean, just to the work. I mean, everyone should lean into the, the, the work of Dr. David Sinclair from Harvard, Dr. Er, er, Huberman over at Stanford. I mean, even Sergey Young's new book. Huberman was on the podcast. <laughs> right. I mean, I know you know him. I mean, all these, all these, Peter Tia, like all these great people who are talking about these this methodology of, uh, of, of really transform, uh, transforming our biologies. And like, what am I going to do? What, what should we do? And I, I think about a more of a, uh, an experiential and long-term impact. Yep. And so, yes, Prima's, I'm really passionate about Prima because I think these molecules really matter to humanity in such a big way because mm-hmm. stress is the epidemic of today. Yep. And once, once we manage our stress, I think we're going to be able to manage long-term health in much bigger fashion. So, I get I get excited about that that biological meets mitochondrial dysfunction conversation a lot, and then I really get excited about giving some of these the access into that longevity revolution. You know how do we how do I help people on a more intimate level? So it might be a full circle moment for me of of getting people more connected to their native biologies and and, and more connected back to nature because we are nature. Nature is is us. We are a reflection of of what we put in on and around our bodies. And, and those are choices, right? It, you know, look at, look at what your, your long-term health is both now and long-term. It's just your choices every single day. Yep. Right? What, when are you feeding yourself? How much are you sleeping? What's the quality of your inputs, food and, and, and relationships and, and on your mindset. So I, I get excited about that more of that holistic platforming for my Makes next sense. phase. So last question for me, what's one thing you either did hear or wish you heard that really helped you on the path to success that you would hope, whether it's your kids or someone else trying to pursue their dreams that they would hear as well? My native pace is really fast. 
and I feel like I have, and so in, in this re reconsideration around my, my time, I've really taken a, a much more long-term point of view on it. And I think we all need to take a much more long-term view on the horizon of, of who we are and what we're passing on to generations beyond us. And so I would, I would tell my kids and I would tell myself to continue to invest in great relationships with great people that really inspire you. Mm-hmm. And, and again, like there's, there's so many things we can do, but do, do the things that really light you up. I think I, I, someone said this a couple of years ago to me, and it really resonated that the things that light you up when you're young are probably the things that are deepest and, and most primitive to your, you know, that spiritual essence of you. And so I think getting back to that and, and reminding yourself, like, what, what, what really, I mean, Robert Greene talks about this a lot is like, what really fired you up when you were young? Yeah. And because that there, there's, there's something there that a, a kernel of truth there that can be unpacked in a, a, a more um, beautiful way. And uh, so I really tell my kids to focus on the things and the people around relationships, but the things that really light you up and, and follow your passions. Like for instance, like I, I, I again, I have, I'm a, a parent of four kids and I've recently shifted, but I'm not their parent. I'm really their partner. And being a partner with them is empowering them and allowing them as a parent to not, I, I, I not, not guiding them, but showing them and stepping back enough to have them be empowered with choice. Yep. And have them um, find their own path in their own way. And, and that's applicable for anyone in business and anyone yep. in, in, as a parent or anyone in life. Wise words. Well, Christopher, thank you so much for coming on Hawk Talk. Thank you, Eric. I really appreciate the platform and the, the opportunity. And, and again, all things gratitude to you. You've really, I mean, just with Hawk and, and all things you've really done there, you've really, you're, you're, you're powering the brands of today and tomorrow. And I think your team has been so good for us here, uh, certainly at Prima, but I'm excited for your new book and all things you, you have, uh, you've done and yet to do. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Hawk Talk. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars you think this podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.